everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Road to Ivy Madness. We have just two weeks left in the Ivy season. Four games for every team across the Ivy League outside of Penn and Princeton women's basketball, who have five games left as we get going toward the final two weeks of the season. Playoff positioning is up for grabs. We've got Harvard and Yale both going 2-0 on the men's side last weekend to solidify their positioning. Princeton, Penn, and Columbia keep on rolling on the women's side. All three of those teams came through with 2-0 weekends. There are some really big games in the battle for Ivy Madness this weekend, so we'll talk more about that as this episode continues. Noah, lead us off with your big headline from this week. Well, in a weekend where we had potential for, I think, a four-way tie at first place at one point during the weekend, Yale uh, took control of the league, and they're in first place. You've got Harvard and Princeton in second behind them, and then that race for fourth. Brown barely holding on to that fourth place with Penn, Dartmouth, and Cornell all still with a chance to jump into Ivy Madness. But Yale, by winning that really close game with Cornell, is taking control of the league. And Megan, your headline? Yeah, my headline from this week is that, hey, uh, the win streak is everything. Look at Columbia. They are playing some of their best basketball at, I think, the best time of the year. Um, Really excited about what the Lions have done and where they're headed into the season. So stay tuned. We'll talk more in depth about Columbia later. All right, when we come back, Megan will be with me to break down women's basketball. We'll hear from Noah a bit later on as we revisit the last weekend in men's hoops. That's as we continue here on the road to Ivy Madness. Megan Perry with me, Bill Spaulding, as we really dive thick into the Ivy women's race. And uh, just a quick note, I know Penn Princeton played Tuesday night, uh, have not played at the time of this recording. So uh, we're going to kind of let that one hang out there on the ether. You can catch everything you need to know about that game uh, on IvyLeague.com. Also find it on both the Princeton and Penn websites, and you can watch the game on ESPN+. And we'll break that down on top of everything else next week. Okay, with that being said, let's dive heavy into women's basketball where both Princeton and Columbia had perfect weekends and let's start with Columbia. They've won four in a row now. They've thrust themselves into Ivy Madness positioning. Uh they've gotten hot at the right time, Megan, and uh two wins, Brown and Yale. Let's talk Brown first. Uh took care of business in that one, uh dominating the glass and led by Sienna Durr, 17 points. Yeah, you know, I thought Columbia was outstanding this weekend, and it's because they, like you said, they took care of business. They did what they were supposed to do, right? And and in past years, maybe we've seen a little bit of a, a letdown um here or there, maybe some unfinished business along the way, but not at all. This year they Sienna Durr coming out and really holding her own. 17 against Brown and then what they did on the glass they had a 11 plus you know rebounding margin on the glass they were truly outstanding um and also I have to say shout out to Caitlin Davis what she did 13 points 12 rebounds um getting a nod for one of the rookie of the week I believe as well um so I think just Columbia has to be really happy with with their effort and um you know I will say Bill this team has an opportunity to really define their own destiny. You know, winners of four in a row, their confidence is surging, um, and they're going to have to go on the road to get it done coming up. They need to steal one, I think, in this upcoming week of play. But uh, I think that the Columbia Lions have to feel really good about where they are, um, and, and this team's been fun to watch. Yeah, they do uh, control their own destiny now sitting in Ivy Madness positioning. Big reason why they're there is – what they did on Saturday night. How about the swing from the first time they played Yale when they were blown out in a loss to Yale earlier in the season? They turned it around. They win 74-65 over the Bulldogs on Saturday. And once again, the story of this weekend really was Sienna Durr stepping up, being the leader that this Columbia team needed. She scored 18 points, had eight rebounds in that win over Yale. 
Yeah, Sienna Durr, you know, she's been um, doing what her team has asked for, of her. You know, they've had a lot of different um, scores, I think, uh, this year for Columbia, different options and, and people stepping up at different times. But Sienna Durr is kind of like, you know, I've been here before. I know what my team needs. And she showed up and really showed out. I mean, 18 points, 18, eight rebounds, excuse me, uh, so close to a double-double. Uh, just really happy about what she was able to contribute to her team and, and an incredible swing. Uh, you mentioned last time uh, going from 25 point loss, right. To winning 74 to 65, what that does for your confidence <laughs> as well. I mean, it's something that's almost immeasurable. Um, so like we said, Columbia Alliance are surging, watch out. I do not want to, I would not want to see them uh, on my schedule coming up because they, they are showing that they are, they're focused. And Megan, here's where I'm seeing the real growth from Columbia. Uh, I think, the last couple of years, we knew they were a team that could score and they have games where they shot really well and they'd be in it. Uh, they've really developed because now they can win games where they're not shooting all that well. They didn't shoot it great in that game uh, against Yale. They didn't knock down a high number of three-pointers. Their shooting percentage just around 40%. But they're winning in other ways now. They're, they're way better rebounding the basketball than they were early in the year. They were plus 11 against Brown. They followed that up by being plus nine on the glass against Yale. And they're playing really good defense right now. They held Yale to just 39% shooting over the course of that game. Yeah, you know, and to tell you the truth, I'll just piggyback on top of what you just said. Uh, you know, Columbia is doing everything that they need to do uh, to show themselves that they can survive in advance when, if and when they have the opportunity in Ivy Badness. You know, they're playing and finding ways to win without everything falling into place perfectly, right? Like re out-rebounding teams, winning with their defense, um, having more balanced scoring attack. Like they're really finding ways to get it done. This is a team that's matured and um, just excited about, about where they are and where they're headed. They have a strong upside. So they're six and four in Ivy play. Yale also now six and four in Ivy play. Those teams tied for third in the Ivy standings. Quick uh, tip of the hat, by the way, to Yale's Camila Emspo, who did score 28 points in that loss. Uh, she had the bulk of the, the Yale offense that night, but the Bulldogs still in good positioning, even with that loss, as are the Lions now both, controlling their destiny those teams a game up on harvard uh let's let's keep it moving and let's move to princeton and penn who sweep harvard and dartmouth over the course of the weekend and they establish themselves the clear top two in the league let's dive into each princeton and penn's matchup against harvard because again these are games that have now pushed harvard down out of the ivy madness picture for now with four games left in the season uh let's start with princeton's 66 45 win on friday night over harvard uh, once again, Princeton's defense just suffocating. They held Harvard to 26% shooting and forced 19 turnovers. We talk about the defense each week. I, I want, Megan, you to maybe even go a little bit deeper. We, we talk about the numbers. We talk about, okay, it's a good defensive team. Why are they so good on defense? What are they doing that, that makes it so difficult to score against them? I mean, to tell you the truth, it's like there's no let up. There's no mercy. And and really strong defensive teams, um, ones like Princeton, when I watch them, it's how they communicate on the floor. It's not necessarily about, um, I mean, yes, their length does help them. Um, and it's not necessarily one person making some kind of outlandish plays. It is really the details of how they communicate, how they rotate, um, and them just being like, 
ahead of things. They're anticipating. They're quick and faster to the ball than the other team. I mean, um, all those things you put them together, you know, you have you have a really solid defensive performance. But I think the most important detail is how this team communicates, and you have to tip your hat uh, to the coaching staff with that because that is that shows the discipline um, that they have in practice every day, and it's it's translating on the court. Vela Allery had 18 points in that win over Harvard as well. And another thing they did well is they were forcing a lot of Harvard turnovers. Princeton took care of the basketball. They only turned it over 11 times in that game. So then that tough road trip continued for Harvard. They had to go to the Palestra, play Penn, and the Quakers pick up the victory. So Penn's now heading into the game against Princeton on Tuesday, won seven consecutive games. They handled Harvard easily, 70 to 48. And remember, that was a reversal from a Harvard win earlier this season. So you're seeing Penn's improvement uh, month to month. They're playing much better basketball now, and it really does feel like they've gotten back to their roots, which is defense, rebounding, and playing physically. That's what we think about when we think about Penn basketball under Mike McLaughlin, and that's what they've done well for the last four weeks of Ivy back-to-backs. They have. I mean, listen, a win is a win. You have to be really excited about what they've done. And I think their biggest test, as we mentioned, is coming up on Tuesday when they have the opportunity to face Princeton. We're going to learn a lot about this Penn team and and have a chance for them to really measure where they are again. But um, thus far, what they've done, you talk about their commitment to the rebounding and to the defense and then the scoring punch that they're getting, the inside-outside combination, Kayla Padilla, Leah Parker inside. I mean, this Penn team has, I think, really – uh, decided and they've committed mentally to, um, you know, uh, being consistent to, to showing up um, and to play with a little bit of an edge. You know, I thought in the beginning of the season they were missing that edge. They have a chip on their shoulder and as they're getting closer to Ivy Madness, you know, they, they have unfinished business, they feel like. So I feel like that's what we're starting to see from from Penn, a little bit of their swag is starting to come back uh, because they know that there's really just weeks away from having the opportunity to reclaim um, what they felt they lost last year in the championship. Yeah, mentioned they held Harvard to 48 points on 25% shooting. The night before, they'd held Dartmouth to 31 points. So for the entirety of the weekend, Penn plays two games, doesn't even give up a total of 80 points. They give up just 79 points for the entire weekend. On the flip side, you feel like Kayla Padilla almost scored 79 points. She had a 23 in Penn's win over Harvard, and it's been so fun to watch her continue to play pretty calmly under pressure in important Ivy League games in her first year on campus. I mean, she's playing, we talked about earlier, Kayla Padilla is playing like with this poise. It's almost like she doesn't even realize the pressure of the moment. She's just out there um, really playing instinctively with ease. Um, and so I, I've been so impressed and excited by what she's been able to do on the floor, the lift she provides for her team. And I think she's only going to take it to the next level as we, you know, start approaching March. Um, she's a competitor. So uh, maybe some of her best basketball is still yet to come, which is really a scary idea <laughs> for the opponents. Yeah, it'd be fun to watch her continue to develop as the season goes along. And uh, Princeton and Penn setting themselves up, looking as the favorites to possibly go head to head once again, as has become the norm in the championship of Ivy Madness, though, obviously, Yale, Columbia, Harvard still have a chance to have a say in that. Here are your standings now. This again, before the Princeton Penn game on Tuesday night, Princeton 9-0, Penn 7-2. Then it was Yale and Columbia, both 6-4. Harvard one game out now at 5-5. Crimson with four games left to try and flip the script there and find themselves into their home Ivy Madness. Cornell, Brown, and Dartmouth all sitting at 2-8, and and, uh, they are one game away from being eliminated. Four games left, four games out of an Ivy Madness spot. So all of those teams need to run the table and then would also need uh, Yale and Columbia to lose out, which... 
is theoretically on paper still possible, but a very big ask for those those last three teams. Let's uh, look to this week and some big games on the schedule. Harvard-Columbia Friday. That's the biggest one right off the bat. Columbia comes in a game up on Harvard. Uh, they also right now hold the tiebreaker because they beat Harvard head-to-head just two weeks ago. They, they really crushed them. Remember, they won 89-64. That was one of the games that started kicking off this Columbia win streak. Uh, when you've gotten beaten by 25 points less than two weeks ago by the same team, Megan, how do you regroup and try to make those adjustments to to rapidly flip a result like that? Yeah, I think, well, one for Harvard, they're going to be committed to getting out to a really fast start. They, you cannot be slow to come to the table with this Columbia team this season. Um, and Columbia, you know, this is a huge test for them. I mean, to get the job done, they're going to have to do it on the road. Uh, and they're going to be battle tested. Harvard is not going to lay down. They're playing at home um, on Friday night. And I have a feeling that, you know, Coach Kathy Delaney Smith will have her troops rallied. She'll have them committed to the glass. I think Jeannie Bain was going to be, you know, focused on getting her job done on the inside. The question is, is she going to get some help from the outside? Harvard shoots the ball pretty well at home, especially from behind that three-point line. So when I look at this matchup, the difference might just be um, what that three-point ball does and, and Harvard's ability to kind of turn things around um, and put up some more points on the board. Yeah, that three-ball was key for Columbia in that big win. Abby Shue had a huge night a couple weeks ago, so you know Harvard will be looking for her. And that was a surprising game for Harvard as well because this season, Harvard's real strength has been on the defensive end. They've been really tough defensively. They've rebounded well. And, and if anything, when they've had issues this year, it's usually been scoring. So it was surprising to see them kind of get – uh, peppered the way they did on offense in that one. Another big game this week I'm looking at is Penn Yale on Friday. Uh, Quakers, again, before the game against Princeton, a game and a half up on the Lions and the standings in the race for second, game and a half up on the Bulldogs as well. And those Yale Bulldogs trying to bounce back from a 53-51 loss to Penn two weeks ago. That was a squeaker, one of the better low-scoring defensive games we've had in Ivy play. Penn did a really good job limiting the three-headed monster for Yale with Rocky, Roxy Barrowman and Camila Emspo being somewhat limited in that game. Uh, it's hard to do that twice against this Yale team that's so talented on offense. Mm, I, I so agree with that statement. And that's, you know, that's just really the challenge of Ivy League basketball, um, and especially with the back-to-back nature of it. But, um, you know, this matchup with Penn and Yale, it's a, it's a big one. I think it's bigger for Yale because they really do have the opportunity um, to kind of face some of the challenges you go back to last season you know they were right on the cusp of ivy ivy madness and i think they have to look at this matchup and go hey guys here's here's opportunity we got to steal this one um this will be a major win if they're able to pull it off but they're going to need um their three-headed monster (laughs) to score and they're going to have to really match the defensive intensity and the grit um, and physicality that Penn has been playing with that that's going to be significant well we look forward to those two games some other important road trips uh Ahead as well, as I mentioned, Yale will play Penn on Friday. Yale will also play Princeton on Saturday, another big game for Yale. And for the Bulldogs, a tough, tough test this week because, again, they have a one-game lead on Harvard for that final Ivy Madness spot, and they're going up against the two teams ahead of them. Uh, For Harvard and Columbia, the challenge after Friday night is to then keep that emotional intensity when you're playing teams that record-wise are out of the Ivy race in terms of you know contending right now. Columbia will then go play Dartmouth. Harvard will then play Cornell. And we know both Cornell and Dartmouth, though they haven't had great seasons at two and eight, they both play a physical, tough brand of basketball that if you are not mentally ready for that game on Saturday, coming off an emotional Friday game, Megan, you can get caught real quick and end up uh, surrendering a game that's going to cost you in the standings. Absolutely. Oh, listen, like, uh, 
I'll tell you, Cornell can't wait uh, to steal a game, right? This is when this is when I think Coach Dana Smith and her squad they kind of sit back and salivate for the moment um, to really come in and make you play ugly basketball to throw you off their off your game. Um, and they definitely you have to watch out for that because this is a team that while the record doesn't really reflect it, um, they're feisty, they're hungry, and um, they they can change things up. All right, well, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a great week week of basketball in the Ivy League once again. And by the time we get through Saturday night. There'll be just two games left for every team in league play, and that playoff picture will start to look even clearer. Megan and I will keep an eye on it all weekend long. We'll be back with you next week to give you all the scenarios heading into the final week of Ivy Madness. Noah Savage back with me, Bill Spalming, as we dive into the men's basketball portion of our program. Uh, We had some great games last weekend, Noah. Let's start with uh, Yale because uh, Yale played uh, two important games, two wins to solidify first place, and they played the game of the week, an 81-80 double overtime win against Cornell. Noah, they came back from eight points down with 3.30 to go in the second half by holding Cornell without a bucket for those last 3.30. Going on an 8-0 run, Azar Swain ended up tying the game with about a minute to go on a three-pointer to send us to overtime. Yeah, and, and they had really great contributions from Eric Monroe as well. I mean, Jordan Bruner is going to be the headline with the triple-double, but this kind of was a, a game that's indicative of why Yale is so difficult. You, you have to worry about Azar Swain on the perimeter. He had 12. Paul Atkinson, again, you could just chalk him in for anywhere from 15 to 25 points and around 10 rebounds. He had 16 and 9. And then Eric Monroe had a huge three late in that game as well as Azar Swain. Had the seven assists, 15 points. And I believe he was the guy who drove and dished it to August Mahoney for a layup that a lot of guys would have forced the shot right there. And he he has the kind of the head on his shoulders and the head on a swivel and the ability to pass the ball even late uh, in game situations. They are really tough. And you got to give a lot of credit to Cornell, Bill, because they do this without Jimmy Beheim. And th- there's a lot of good things happening up there for the Cornell Big Red for a team that lost their all-time leading scorer lost the transfer to the Pac-12, and now, you know, for at least this game, have lost one of the best players in the league in Jimmy Beheim. And Terrence McBride has taken a giant step up in the last couple of weeks. He had 17 of his 27 in overtime. And, you know, I talked to Coach Earl a couple weeks ago, and he said he showed tape to his team and said, you know, our offense is, is we're getting shots and we're passing them up for some reason. We're being tentative. And I see this big red team in, in complete attack mode. And the balance that they had as well, sharing the basketball, five assists for Terrence McBride, four for Brian Knapp, Kobe Dickinson, uh, Kobe Dixon playing uh, good minutes for them. They're, they're starting to develop something up there. And for a team that doesn't have a lot of wins this year, you got to give them a lot of credit. Yeah, no, we're going to talk even more about Cornell a little bit later when we uh, talk about the Cornell-Brown game that is uh, tightened things up a bit in the Ivy race as well. Uh, in this game, though, I think for Yale, what, what impressed me is there were a number of times where, you know, the game wasn't going well. They weren't playing well. In regulation, they weren't shooting well. They were going on scoring droughts. number of times where they maybe could have let the game balloon on them or get out of hand, again, particularly when Cornell got up eight. And uh, they, they had the counter punches when they needed to. And the final counter punch was that play in overtime. You mentioned uh, August Mahoney with the game winning layup with two seconds to go. That was after Terrence McBride had put Cornell ahead with 15 seconds to go, kind of set the building into a frenzy in Ithaca. And you thought maybe Cornell was going to do it. It was a patient, deliberate possession from Yale. And let's talk about that Yale depth because Again, you think about who's going to take the last shot in a one-point game. A lot of teams, there's maybe one or two guys you'd think about. Um, 
August Mahoney probably would not be in the top four of who you think would take the final shot for Yale, but that's how much good scoring depth they have and how confident they are in their ball movement and different guys stepping up and making plays that, uh, you know, like you said, uh, Monroe makes the pass to Mahoney and boom, Yale wins. Yeah. And, you know, I talked to the Yale coaches, especially uh, Justin Simon a couple of weeks ago, and he pointed to the, to August Mahoney and was like, that's the next guy. Like he's the next potential great player on our team. And that's how you continue to have uh, a great program is that, yeah, you've got your great juniors and seniors, but you've got freshmen and sophomores and guys who maybe didn't play that much, even if they're upperclassmen and you could point to them and go, this guy's next. And, and when he gets the opportunity, he's going to be great. And you see it in Eric Monroe. I mean, it, Eric Monroe, you just can't say enough about a guy who did not play that much the first three years. Now he's playing and he's a complete star in this league. Then the next night, Yale went out and rolled Columbia. Uh, in that game, I think you saw a little more of the Yale we've seen at points this year where they were just kind of clicking on all ends. They jumped out to a 16-point lead, uh, kind of had it in control the whole way. 29 for Azar Swain in this game. And then I know we, we've we've mentioned it with this Yale team, but worth going back to what they do on the class again. They are the best rebounding team in the Ivy League. And in that game against Columbia, they were plus 19. So you just have so many more opportunities to score the basketball when you're uh, rebounding like that. Yeah. And you know what else is it shows the different ways that Yale can win because the night before they give up 50% shooting to the big red, the, the game against Columbia is more indicative of what they've done all season. They only gave up 28% from downtown and 40% from the field. The night before they gave up 50 overall and 40 from, from downtown. And that's a game that that's an anomaly for Yale. And the fact that even in a game where they really couldn't get stops, like they've been doing all year, they still won. Then the next night, they kind of, you know, they put the handcuffs back on the other team. It's just scary for the league because you go, man, even if we could score against this team, we still have to outscore them. And it's rare that a team that's that good defensively can also score at that level. And the other thing is Azar Swain set a program record for threes made in a season with 83. And as a shooter, I could tell you that I would think of above 50. When you when you hit 50 in a season, that's a big season. I don't know why I had that number in my head, but... I felt like if one of my teammates or if I did that, all right, that's a lot. Now, there's been guys who've hit 90, 100, I think. Uh, you know, Ryan Whitman had a season like that. Uh, Sean P. Jackson, Brian Earl, there's other guys who've had those seasons. But I can tell you that 83 three-pointers, when all the other team is trying to do is stop you from shooting threes, is a really impressive accomplishment. And he does it within the flow of the offense, and he has these huge games like he did against Columbia with 29 points. So Yale's now 8-2. They're in first in the Ivy, one game up on Harvard and Princeton. Let's talk about this Crimson team, which, you know, early in the season had those tight losses. They were 3-3. Three and three. They were on the outside looking in an Ivy League play in terms of the race for Ivy Madness. But, you know, it seems like those close games maybe just sharpened them for these close games they continue to get in because this week they bring it to, to four wins in a row by sweeping Princeton and Penn and doing it in two close games. 61-60 over Princeton, 69-65 over Penn. And I think you might have alluded to it a little bit last week, Noah, but you just feel like at this point, this Harvard team, they're like, okay, same old, same old, another close game. That They're comfortable in these close games now, not getting rattled by the pressure situations. Yeah, I mean, you have to go all the way back to December 21st to even get a game that wasn't incredibly close. I mean, against George Washington, it was 88-75. Since then, it's just been close game. You could argue the Cal game wasn't that close, but let's go back to the 30th of December. 
you got a three-point game. Then you got a four-point game. Then you got a five-point game. Then, you know, I mean, you just go down the list. It's, it's, it's laughable how close these are. And in the Ivy League, it's been one point, one point, one point. Then you get a break where it's not that close against Cornell. And then 1.4 points this weekend. It's remarkable. I, I just can't. I've never seen anything like it. You throw in the double overtime game against Columbia. And what's impressive about Harvard right now is you have different guys stepping up. And the guy who really was so valuable for them this weekend, I thought, was Mason Forbes. I mean, he had four block shots against Princeton. And he had the block that saved the game because Jalen Llewellyn was going to the hoop. He can jump out of the gym. He was up there. And most guys in this league couldn't have got that block shot. Yeah. And I mean, this goes right back to what has been the strength of Harvard each of these last few years is uh, there's a different guy on different nights. And again, Mason Forbes, maybe not the guy who's on the top of your scouting report, but has a weekend like this where he becomes the guy who really pushes them forward, particularly on Friday night. Um, you know, their depth of scoring on Friday, Forbes had 11 along with Kirkwood and Juzang and Robert Baker scored 10. So he had four different guys in double figures. Um, and then the, the defensive effort starts with Tommy Amaker and what he preaches. And it really goes one through 12 or one through 15, or at this point, one through 19 on their roster. That's their calling card at the end of the day. Tommy Amaker and his team are going to play good man-to-man defense. And they did that all game long on Friday night, holding uh, Princeton to just 34% shooting in that game. And, you know, they really made life difficult on some guys who've had big games. Ethan Wright was held in check. Richmond Ariri Guzzo got to 12 points, but it took him a lot of shots to get there. He was he was pretty limited. And uh, and you, you kind of saw Harvard playing at their, their peak of toughness and physical play on the glass and defensively. Yeah, and the uh, the two battles between Richmond Ariri Guzzo and Chris Lewis have kind of you know fizzled a little bit. We didn't we didn't see anybody get twenty and ten against each other. They really neutralize each other, and you know it's almost like watching the Incredible Hulk and the and the thing go at it. You know, it's like they they finally met somebody as strong as them. And I'm curious to see if they match up in the Ivy League tournament if either one of them makes an adjustment. But Harvard is really at their best when they when they have a game blocking shots the way they did against Princeton. And even though, you know, Chris Lewis didn't score that very much in that game, he had three big block shots, Robert Baker with three big block shots, and then Mason Forbes. And when you think about a one-point game, Bill, 10 block shots, that could be 20 points. So those blocks are huge in terms of winning the basketball game. So you got to credit the guys on the perimeter for providing that pressure. But the big guys for Harvard uh, did a great job blocking shots. Well, and you mentioned uh, Chris Lewis and how, you know, the two matchups with Richmond and Riri Guzzo have kind of neutralized both guys. Well, he came back with a vengeance the next night. Uh, we talked about the Chris Lewis weekend with A.J. Broder and Penn coming in the next day. Uh, he, Chris Lewis was great. He had 19 points in the win against Penn, matching Noah Kirkwood as Harvard won 69-65. And he, along with the rest of the Harvard defense, helped limit A.J. Broder as well, helped him to just, just the 12 points as, as Harvard one by four. And I thought they used him a little bit differently against Penn than they did against Princeton. And whether that was, you know, the coaching staff adjusting or he and his teammates just kind of making adjustments, I think he's a little bit better when you can just throw him the ball on some lobs if they try to front or you try to get him on the move on pick and rolls and put him in situations where he can just catch and finish. And his hands are so big and so good. And his, his shoulders are so wide that if he can get inside position and get some of those lobs, I think that really gets him going. So then he can go back to the post game. But when you just roll it into him and ask him to kind of make his own shot every time, I don't think that's effect- as effective. But the way that he was able to get 
inside position and his teammates trusted him to just throw over the top, I think went a long way. Yep. Uh, yeah, let's, let's touch on Penn quickly. Uh, it was an 0-2 weekend. They also lost to Dartmouth on Friday night. So they've now lost three of four and and fallen out of Ivy Madness positioning at this point. At this point, they're in fifth place in the league, a game back of Brown. Are, are you concerned at all about what you've seen the last couple weeks from Penn, or do you, do you expect them to right the ship the next two weeks. I mean, it, it, it's been so close. Every game is close in the Ivy League this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, what do you say as a as a coach or as somebody on this team when, when you're right there, you don't have to make a bunch of adjustments. It's two or three things in each game. And, you know, I've been on teams like this where you're losing close games, you make a couple adjustments, you start winning. And I don't think they need to make big adjustments. I'm not, I'm not necessarily concerned about them. I just think we're in a league where there's four spots and there's probably – there's really eight teams that are good enough for those four spots. It's going to be a crowded party. Yeah, I guess if you wanted to point at one thing where, you know, in a game that's a one possession or two possession game week in, week out, it's really easy for coaches to say, hey, if the game's going to be that close, you need to value your possessions or there's a couple little things you can do. Here's the here's the one area that Steve Donahue could easily point to after that game. Uh Penn got out-rebounded by 12. Harvard was plus 12 on the glass in that game. So, again, you say that's plus seven, and you limit maybe three or more, three or four more Harvard shots, or you add two or three second-chance opportunities for yourself, all of a sudden, that might bridge the four-point deficit right there. Yeah, and another place where you can get easy points is the free-throw line. And they only got to the line six times. You know, in, in a close game, to not be able to get to the line, you know, that goes a long way to get the other team's best players in trouble, but also to just – reset yourself, knock down easy shots. You know, they got to do a little bit better job of getting to the line because their game is open three-pointers, layups, and free throws, and they really only used two out of those three weapons effectively. They did shoot it well from downtown at 40%, and they hit 10 threes, but you've got to be able to get to the line a little bit more if you're the Penn Quakers. And, uh, hey, the last squad that's still in Ivy Madness positioning, as we mentioned, uh, this this Brown team is a game up on Penn now. Brown... Uh, had an opportunity to go two games up on Penn with Cornell coming into town on Saturday, but we've talked about it. This big red team, even with Jimmy Bayheim out playing really well, and they they really dominated Brown. They beat them 63-45 in Ithaca on Saturday uh, as the Bears uh, had a tough second game of that New York City Ithaca road trip. Uh, and, you know, it was a dominant effort on both sides for, for Cornell. They shot 52% from the floor, and they hold, held Brown at just 25% shooting. Yeah, and you know what? Cornell's got a lot to be proud of for this weekend. I mean, you come out with, right, they started the weekend with five wins. And they come out against the best team in the league. They take them to double overtime. They had a chance to beat them. Then a team that's in Ivy Madness, they really drill on their home court and and go end-to-end on them, play great basketball, share the basketball again. Brian Knapp with a career-high 17 points. Terrence McBride follows up his 27 with 17 Kobe Dixon getting into double figures and had the eight rebounds. And what you what you love as a coach when you're looking at this is how many guys got involved passing the basketball. You know, Brian Knapp with three assists and then a number of other guys with one or two assists. And they did turn it over a little bit too much, you know, 14 turnovers. But the fact that they were passing the basketball and still being aggressive and being in attack mode, I think that there's been a, flip, uh, a switch flipped men- mentally with Cornell where they say, Look, we're, we're not going to be the ones on our heels. We're going to be ones to bring it to you, to attack you. And then if, if hey, if we, if we don't end up on top at the end, that's fine. At least we went out, you know, being aggressive. And you could see that in the free throw numbers, 18 attempts. Yeah, and, and they're going to move forward as we uh, look at the last 
four games with a serious chance to make an impact on Ivy Madness, even though it's unlikely that they'll get in. They play Harvard, they play Penn, and they play Princeton, their final three games of the year. So uh, they've already proven that they're not going to be an easy out for any of these teams the way they've played the last couple of weeks. Uh, I would put very good percentages on the fact that Cornell has something to say about who makes Ivy Madness by at least winning one of those last three games against either Harvard, Penn, or Princeton and and shaking up the race a little bit. Yeah, without a doubt. And if they can get Jimmy Beheim back and still play with this level of confidence, I mean, there you, you got another 15 to 20 points coming right back into the lineup. But, you know, they, they've got to be very happy with what they did in this game. They held Brown to 17% from downtown. Brown shot just... 25% from the field. I mean, that's a great defensive effort. And then let's uh, let's start to think about just what is in front of us this week. I uh, mentioned Cornell will play Harvard on Saturday, so a game that has some playoff implication. But uh, the real focus of this week is going to be uh, through Providence and New Haven. That's where you really feel the big playoff implications. Uh, Penn and Princeton make the swing through Brown and Yale right now, Princeton, Brown, Yale in Ivy Madness, 10, one game out, gets that head to head against Brown this weekend. Um, as you think about those matchups, so Princeton, Yale, Princeton, Brown, Penn, Yale, Penn, Brown, what are you looking for? Uh, what do you think is is going to make a difference this week? And who do you expect to leave this weekend in good playoff positioning out of that four, group of four? Well, I'm, I'm much too smart to expect anything at this point, Bill. You know that, that, uh, <laughs> You know, obviously in this league, I got a text from somebody who's not even really involved in the league. And he he said, uh, calm, geez, calm down, Ivy League. What, what's going on here? Like, like this league is so crazy that I'm getting texts that are just saying, wow, I can't believe these outcomes at double overtime games. But I'll tell you the player that had a great weekend for Princeton this last weekend was Jalen Llewellyn and playing super aggressive, just playing loose getting to the bucket. He hit a bunch of threes against Dartmouth. I mean, really, whether they were contested, whether they were you know off the dribble, he was in attack mode. And the, the matchup you always look at when you're talking about Princeton Brown is Brandon Anderson, who can easily give you 30, against Jalen Llewellyn, who can easily give you 30. And I'm not saying they have to go out and get 30, but they got to control the game. They've got to be in attack mode. They've got to get others involved. And that point guard matchup, as well as that kind of small forward matchup of Tominang Cho against Ryan Schwieger are two places where I look to be keys for this matchup. Here's the the question for me. The one final thing we're going to talk about here before uh, we move on the road to Ivy Madness. For Penn, you would say you go on the road in the Ivy League, especially when you're playing Yale and Brown. And, you know, you go on the road in the Ivy League against two good teams. You go one and one. You feel pretty good about that. Penn doesn't really have the luxury to go one and one now that they find themselves on the outside looking in. Uh, realistically, they've got four games left this year. They probably need to win at least three of them to make Ivy Madness. So uh, it kind of changes your expectations or your desperation just a little bit uh, when you're in the situation pens in here. They, they uh, likely need to find a way to win both of these and at absolute minimum uh, go one and one with that one win coming against Brown. One thing I know about Steve Donahue and Penn is that, you know, like they're like a killer in a in a scary movie. Like what you, you you're never safe. So you can you cannot count them out. They're always going to come back in you. They're too mentally tough. That's just how they're built. So this type of situation, they're excited. And when you've got AJ Broder as your leader, a guy who just wakes up, goes to work, gets buckets, gets other people involved, you know, I would feel good if I'm on the Penn team knowing that my senior leader is probably the toughest and most unselfish player in the entire league. 
So I'm not worried about them. I, I would be worried if I was facing them. And, you know, I could just tell you that from an experience where I was in the palestra up 18 with eight minutes left to go and, and Penn came back and that still haunts my nightmares. So I, I, I know that Penn, their whole program for, you know, 80 years has been built on toughness. And when you talk about toughness, you talk about, all right, everybody's counting them out a little bit. They got to go on the road against the number one team at Yale. And then they got to beat Brown after that. And that's what toughness is all about is situations like this. And I know they're excited for the challenge. And the guy that I think needs to have a huge weekend is Jordan Dingle because he can really be explosive. And if he hits shots, they're a different team. When he's shooting the ball at about 40% from three, knocking down shots as well as getting into the lane and getting dunks, that's when they become really exciting. All right, no, we're excited for it. It's going to be a fun week after this week. Uh, we'll know all the scenarios heading into the final weekend of the regular season and just who's going to be on their way to Cambridge for Ivy Madness. Uh, been a lot of fun. Look forward to uh, watching this weekend. And no, we'll be back next week to, to talk over everything that comes out of this week. When we come back, both Noah and Megan will be with, with me and we'll share you our uh, water cooler conversation topic points as we continue here on the road to Ivy Madness. All right, Noah and Megan back with me, Bill Spaulding. It is time for our weekly water cooler segment, what you should be talking about with your friends when you chat Ivy basketball. And uh, Noah, we'll let you lead us off this time. Well, I just want to kind of shout out and discuss what a huge accomplishment Jordan Bruner had this weekend, notching the league's third triple-double ever. The other two, Dartmouth center Ian McGinnis, in 2001, and Jason Forte, someone I played against in 2004. If you think about all the great players that come through this league, all the guys that were versatile enough to do it, who had the passing, the rebounding, and the shooting ability to be able to do it, it's just remarkable that there's only been three ever. And Jordan Bruner not only did this against Cornell this time, but came two assists short in the first outing against Cornell and he's really making a strong push, in my mind, for Ivy League Player of the Year. Yeah, I think the one thing that's going to be interesting to watch in that Ivy Player of the Year race uh, with the Yale players is do the Yale players split the votes in a way that maybe somebody then consolidates around a team that has just the one option. But uh, it's going to be really interesting to watch. I think as close as this Ivy League race has been, the Ivy League Player of the Year race is uh, interestingly as close. Uh, my water cooler this week is going to focus on rebounding. I think... We talk a lot about offense. We talk a lot about defense. We try to talk about rebounding on this show, but sometimes I think it flies under the radar. And I think if you look at the statistics, I'm, I'm not going to be blowing the mind of anyone who follows basketball closely, but the best rebounding teams in the Ivy League are the best teams in the Ivy League. On the men's side, the top three rebounding teams are Yale, Brown, and Harvard. Hey, those are three of the four teams in Ivy Madness positioning right now. On the women's side, Princeton, Hopson rebounding, and that's carried over to their undefeated league record so far. So rebound the basketball when your uh, five-year-old basketball coach was telling you to box out. They knew what they were talking about. Uh, and uh, now, Megan, your turn for your water cooler. Yeah, around the water cooler. First of all, you know I have to say um, congratulations, Princeton Women's Tigers. We moved up two spots into the AP poll. They're now number 23 ranked team in the country. Um, but outside of that, I, I want to kind of shine a light on um, what I think has been some excellent freshman play and specifically highlight the play of Kayla Padilla. Um, I don't have the numbers on this, but I think around the water cooler, we should be talking about the incredible feat that it is for a freshman to lead the entire conference in scoring. She's averaging about 18 points per game. 
team and has really been outstanding. And I think um, the main cog and, and Penn's incredible surge towards the second place in the standings so far this season. So shout out to Kayla Padilla. All right, Minder, we're with you every Wednesday throughout the course of Ivy Madness season, all the way up through Ivy Madness in a couple weeks in Cambridge and then the NCAA tournament as well. Next week, we'll have just one weekend of games left. So we'll be able to break down all the scenarios, what needs to happen to figure out who's coming to Cambridge and who's stuck at home at the end of the year. For Noah Savage, Bill Spaulding, and Megan Perry, we all say so long from this week and enjoy your Ivy basketball.